0: Now, grab your Bibles and let's uh, skip the chit-chat and get right to the text. It's in Matthew chapter 12 at verse 33. You follow in your copies of God's Word. And let me read you this paragraph. It starts in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers... How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word, that they, that word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God this word this endures forever guys this is my fourth sermon on Matthew chapter 12 and the previous three sermons all had one thing in common and the thing that they had in common was what what I called the reveal they were all revealing things that were true about who Jesus Christ is. They were uh, claims on the part of Jesus Christ as to who he was in front of a, a hostile audience of uh, Jewish skeptics. You recall, perhaps, on verses one through eight, uh, we, uh, he claimed to be the greater prophet, the greater, greater priest, and the greater king. The three offices of the Messiah, he was claiming to be the Messiah. In the next paragraph, from 9 to 21, I think, that's when he healed the man with the withered hand. That's when he claimed to be the interpreter of the law, that he was above the law, because he was the giver of the law. And then last week we saw, in that, that um, particularly that first paragraph, where they began with a quote from Isaiah chapter 42. You remember? Where Isaiah, and I told you about this section of Isaiah, in, in Isaiah 42 to 55, that is a discussion of the suffering servant, and so he, he, he quotes that, and the claim is that suffering servant, mm, that's me. Um, Isaiah, the prophet, when he wrote those things, was pointing to me. Now, this morning, in this new paragraph on our fourth sermon, there is another reveal, but it's not about Christ. It's about us. Gang, the the principle, the operating principle of this paragraph is found in verse 33. Here's the principle. For the tree is known by its fruit. Folks, uh, that is a principle with which we are familiar. When I first read this paragraph weeks ago, Uh, on my mind, immediately raced to Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, his first public uh, sermon, where Jesus says, by their fruit ye shall know them. This is a biblical staple. This is woven into the scriptures throughout, both the Old and New Testament. I mean, but it's not only confined to the New Testament, you find it in the Old Testament as well. Let me just show you one place where in the Old Testament it's found. If you can find Isaiah 5 real quick. Let me show you that this principle... Is there as well Isaiah chapter 5 is not a piece of poetry it's a song Um, it opens like this Isaiah 5 1 let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard and then it says he had a vineyard on a fertile hill and he cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines and put a watchtower and hewed out the vine vets etc etc then if you look down at verse 7 it tells you who that vineyard is Verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. That vineyard is just a metaphor. It's a metaphor for Israel. Now notice one thing in the bottom of verse 2. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. There it is again, ladies and gentlemen. There's that same principle that the, the, the tree will be known by the kind of fruit it produces. It's woven into the warp and woof of the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament. We even use it in common parlance. We say, well, you know, the, 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 the proof's in the pudding. You know, you got you to walk the walk before you can talk the talk. That's, those are all just derivatives of that one central principle that is found in Matthew chapter 12, for the tree is known by its fruits. Now, gang, this paragraph under our investigation this morning um, has a more limited application. It's not just talking about the general principle. It's going to bring that principle down and apply it. Um, <clears throat> he's applying it to this audience and um, That had just spoken to him about their, or just described for him their explanation of what was going on uh, when that man was healed. We'll, We'll talk about that in a second. But guys, he's continuing to address the blasphemy of on the part of the Pharisees in verse 24 in the Sermon on the Mount. He was aimed at false prophets. In Matthew 12, he's aimed at Pharisees. Same, same, same kind of group of men. But here's the point I'm trying to make, guys. This verse that I read, verses 33 through 37, is a continuation of that which we saw last week um, And that that skirmish between you, you remember the skirmish when Jesus has just healed the. The, the blind and mute demoniac. And the people began to rave out loud, oh, this must be the son of David. I mean, this must be the Messiah. And the Pharisee said, that's not the Messiah. He only casts out those demons through Beelzebub. Well, folks, Jesus is still talking to them about that. You remember his argument had to do with... Um, Satan doesn't cast out Satan. That would be civil war, and nobody can stand a civil war. Secondly, there was a strong man, but the stronger came and bound him and plundered his house. And you're the plunder. And then he mentions that unpardonable sin, which we discussed last week. So here in our paragraph, in his final stroke of argument, actually, it's really not an argument. It's it's, it's more application. Um, He says, in essence... If the fruit is good, it must be because the tree's good. But if the fruit is evil, it's because you got an evil tree on your hands. Or stated principally, the tree you see is known by its fruit. Folks, that is a principle upon which we operate in many circles. But it has two very serious lessons contained in it. Lesson number one Becoming a Christian means that there has has been a change in my very nature. Becoming a Christian is not some kind of superfluous add-on. It's not an afterthought. Oh, no, no, no. It's at the very center of my being. It's vital. It's foundational. It's it's to who I am. Because you see, when I became a Christian, my whole nature changed. I went from a, an evil tree to a good tree. Because the insides of me has been changed such that at the center of my being is this new principle of life. The second lesson contained in that principle is a bit more jarring. By the way, you know my eyes are bad now so I'm going to be using these more. So... Um, the second lesson is this that which a man is ultimately at the center of his being will inevitably express itself. No matter how hard you may try to keep it from doing so, eventually, nature must be expressed what a man is will eventually be made manifest to everybody around him you see those are two lessons found in this principle the tree is known by its fruit okay then if i'm ever gonna produce good fruit i've got to have a change on the inside and not only that, it's obvious from that principle that eventually what kind of tree I am will be seen. It will be made manifest somehow. Now, guys, from there, the text, um, the text gives us a bit more specificity. By that I mean this. The text tells us that one of the places out of which this fruit will come will be my mouth. One of the one of the brands of fruit that will reveal who I am will have to do with what comes out of my mouth. Now gang, at this point, I could take off in the direction of James chapter 3. You remember James chapter 3. It's about the tongue, the little agent that sets a mighty flame, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, And if this text were about the sins of the tongue, that's what I would do. If I wanted to speak about the sins of the tongue, which would slay me far more than you, I would go to James chapter 3 to do it. But to be faithful to this text, it's not so much about the sins of the tongue. The sins of the tongue are simply a manifestation of the principle. The principle being the tree is known by its fruits. This is a passage, ladies and gentlemen, that is aimed at Pharisees. He calls them, he takes off the gloves, and he says, you brood of vipers. By the way, that's language borrowed from John the Baptist. John the Baptist used that same kind of language to describe these guys. And what is it, ladies and gentlemen, that prompted Jesus to this excoriating assessment of those Pharisees? What was it? What did they do? Did they murder somebody right there in front of him? Did they rob a bank? No. What prompted that was their words. Folks, that should not come as a surprise. Words are the the vehicles of thought. We express thought. By the usage of words, we convey ideas, values, and we use words to do it, and the mouth becomes the natural vent of the heart. Folks, the the closest bodily organ to the to the heart is not the lungs, it's the mouth. So, their words, the Pharisees, become the reliable index to their character. Their words become the reliable index of their character. And then you will notice in the paragraph that he goes on to mention the day of judgment. And he says, on that day of judgment, it'll be your words. It'll be by your words that you will be justified. Now, guys, i got to pause there, because the word justified is a rich... It's the Greek word dikai, uh-oh. It's a rich New Testament word, but it's used in two different ways in the New Testament. It is used by Paul in a Pauline sense, Romans 4, Uh, justification being declared by God righteous based on the merits of Christ it's used that way but it's also used by James the half-brother of Jesus in James chapter 2 and he uses it the way it's being used here that is you'll be justified by your works that is you will be shown to be either righteous or unrighteous based on your words So, in this paragraph, Jesus is the good tree who, whose fruit is good, and the Pharisees, they're the evil tree, and their fruit is bad. And again, what kind of fruit was that? I mean, wh- wh- what does Jesus have in mind when he's talking about their evil fruit? words it was their words that told him of their state or the state of their hearts and as a result of evaluating those words he calls them a brood of vipers Folks, our Savior doesn't speak like that much in the New Testament. He holds on to words like that for situations like these. You see, it was their words that showed Him what kind of tree these guys were. And and what were those words? Let me read them to you again. It's in verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said... It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And where do those words come from? The heart. It's the mouth that becomes the index to the heart. Now, guys, um, this paragraph that we're looking at um, was aimed at the Pharisees, yes. Its application, however, um, reaches all the way into the 21st century, all the way over to the pews and the pulpit of Grace Evangelical Church. So, what do your words say about the nature of your heart? Um, So let's just for the moment conclude that "Mm, I don't like what it says about my heart. Then how is that heart ever to be cured? We've got to get a cure if my mouth is ever to change, then I've got to get a cure for the heart because you're really starting at the wrong end if you start with the tongue. Um, Your New Year's resolutions won't work. They're a temporary solution. But what will work? Well, let me answer my question by showing you a little story that's found in 2 Kings chapter 2. It's a story out of the life of Elisha. Um, you remember Elisha? He was the successor to Elijah. Elijah was first, and then he's off to heaven in that chariot. And then Elisha takes over, and Elisha's got this little school for the prophets going on, and they're looking for a place to settle down. You know, they want to build their own seminary campus, and so they're looking for a piece of land to settle to settle down on. And they come to Jericho, and they like Jericho. And here's what, here's the little story, quaint little thing. starts in verse 19. 2 Kings 2, 19. Now the men of the city said to Elijah, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from now on. Neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elijah spoke. Now, gang, Get yourself a a commentary and go look up that little story. And there's all kinds of discussion about what does the salt signify? You know, Christians are called salt and light. Might be Christians. Wouldn't fit, the the, the little story. Um, And then there's the salt of the covenant. You know, that's mentioned. A lot of guys said something like that. But I really can't help you over that. But here's something that I can be sure of. if the springs of those waters are ever to be healed and healthy, then something from the outside is going to have to be poured into them. Something from the outside has got to be poured into them. And therein, ladies and gentlemen, lies the solution for our evil hearts. Something from the outside is going to have to be poured into the inside. Folks, um, if your heart is the problem, the only one who has a solution for it is someone who is outside of you. Folks, it is the salt of grace Sovereign grace that must be poured into bitter springs. The need, ladies and gentlemen, is for a new heart which God from the outside grants in regeneration. If you are here worried about the condition of your heart, then here's some language for you. Use David's language in Psalm 51:10. Created me. God, You have got to give me a new heart. Folks, one cannot imitate Christ until we have the life of Christ in our hearts. And if that life is not there, then the proof that it is not there will inevitably be seen spilling out of your mouth. And this example from the Pharisees in Matthew 12 is that they always had nice, ugly, horrible things to say in their hatred for and hostility against and opposition to Jesus Christ. Is that you? One who um, has this opposition against Christ. Um, to you? Um, did you read in this text about the day of judgment in verse 36? Oh, yeah, I saw that, Dr. Young. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't believe any of that. I think that's just all a bunch of foolishness. My dear friend, if there is something ever like the day of judgment to occur, it is those very words. Well, that's a bunch of foolish. It is those very words that will condemn you. You know, guys, um, much of my younger life, my teenage years and on into my 20s, much of my younger life was spent in locker rooms, you know, playing everything that had a ball to it. And um, in those locker rooms with other young men, I heard it all. But what's worse is that I said it all. And then by God's kindness, I began to see that those words were simply a window that allowed me and others to see what my heart really was like. And then God, in sovereign grace, from the outside poured something healing into the inside and one of the first evidences that he had done that is what came out of here. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the mouth just becomes an infallible index as to the condition of your heart. If you don't like what you hear, if you don't like what you hear you saying, then come to Christ. Come to Christ now. Our Father, would you use this text to remind us all that the real nature of who we are, our very identity, will be seen in our words. <clears throat> would, you, would you create in us a clean heart? And those who have that new heart granted in regeneration, would you help us to clean up further And would you pour more fresh supplies of grace into springs that are not absolutely clean? Give us, O God, a heart that will enable us to imitate Christ and Him crucified. And we pray, of course, in His name. Amen.